0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Hearts Ablaze. Before we get into our topic today, we want to invite you to join Pope Francis's emergency novena for Afghanistan through the Hallow Prayer app. As many of you may know, the word Catholic means universal, and when one member of the body of Christ is hurting, all of us are hurting. If you're not on Hallow, you can still pray nine memoraries for nine days straight, asking the Blessed Mother to intercede for the people of Afghanistan during this time. For our topic this week, instead of having a guest, Michaela and I each shared a little bit about three of our favorite literary heroines. Michaela and I were both bookworms growing up, and we thought that this conversation would spark some interesting thoughts about the importance of female role models and how we can turn to the canon of saints for real-life friends and intercessors who can accompany us in finding holiness through our unique character traits and personalities. Without any further ado, please enjoy the
1: episode. Okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Hi, Jesus. Um, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to geek out today and talk about our favorite fictional ladies. Uh, Jesus, we ask that this conversation be productive um, and that you guide it uh, and that you use what brings us joy to bring joy to others, but then also to show others like the truth about you in literature and to show others the truth about who woman is um, using secular literature. Let's go. Let's do it. Amen. Men, Mary has anything to add?
0: No, you you (laughs) covered. Sick.
1: All right. Hello, welcome to this episode of Hearts ablaze. Today, we are talking about our favorite uh, fictional ladies. Specifically, I think we tried to stick in the fantasy genre, just because if you asked Mary and I to like talk about our favorite female characters, this podcast would be twelve hours long. So we'll do fantasy this time. We're probably going to do other, like, we'll probably do an episode based on like lesser known fictional ladies that like no one else has read except for Mary and I, AKA women from books that I keep trying to pawn off on other people and no one has read, but that's fine. I'm not bitter, whatever. So this week we're going to talk about fantasy ladies. Uh, We have an easy kind of outline. We're each going to talk about our three favorites. And we have some questions that Mary and I are going to ask each other. So Mary, do we want to do like me and then you and then me and then you, or do you want to do all three? And then I do all three. What do you want?
0: Uh, Let's alternate and let's do all three questions for one character. And then we are just doing one character at a time.
1: Great. And then I'm going from like, I don't have really any order except my first one is the least well known. So great. You wanna go first? Yeah. Okay. Mary, who is your first favorite female character?
0: Okay. So she's not strictly the fantasy genre. She's more of Mary is already
1: breaking Mary is already (laughs) breaking our own rules. Dang it, Mary
0: the whole reason we came up with this separate genre is so that we wouldn't just go off on Jane Austen characters because they already get a lot of they already get a lot of airtime in Catholic circles I'm just saying like so we're talking about like kind of more pop culture which I would say Divergent is one although the movies kind of ruined that for us but um (laughs) it's fine so so yeah my first one is Triss from Divergent and yeah, so I'll, I'll go into a little bit more of why she's important to me, but if you just want to start off with the first question.
1: Yeah. Um, do we want to do, like, a quick summary of, like, their character arc and then go into the questions?
0: Yeah, I can kind of give a summary because... Like a one-minute summary of Trissa's character arc? Right, okay. So okay. Um, in this dystopian world, there are five... Oh, gosh. Factions? You went went
1: way deeper than I thought, but that's fine. Okay. Okay. It varies like (laughs) in the beginning of creation.
0: Well, you need the backstory. So here we go. Uh, There's five factions, and each faction has its own virtue that it seeks to uphold because it feels that if humanity lived out that virtue, there would be no more war or evil. And it is kind of a post-apocalyptic thing, um, similar to Hunger Games. Um, So Uh, in this world the five factions oh let's see if I can name them all there's candor for honesty amity for like peace slash friendship abnegation for selflessness dauntless for courage or bravery and then erudite for knowledge or learning um yeah so that's all five
1: and can you name the colors for each of the factions nope (laughs) Oh, see, I just know, like, black and white for candor, yellow for amity, gray for abnegation, black and red for dauntless, and then blue for erudite.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they each, like, correlate to elements,
1: too. But that's, like, getting into the weeds. So, basically, Triss is boring. Also, it's funny. It's funny to note that of all these virtues, there is no faction that has the virtue of prudence. Hmm. Interesting.
0: Hmm. Well, so it's actually kind of cool. So the author of Divergent um, wrote it when she was 19. I think she was raised Catholic, like at least raised Catholic. I don't know if she's still practicing, but Veronica Roth, she said she basically created a world in her mind that would be like an ideal utopia, where everybody looks at the world and says, Man, if people could just live out this one virtue everything would be fine. Everybody gets to pick the virtue they think is most important. But she said thinking more about it, she realized that this utopia would actually be a dystopia because you'll have things like in the end of the first book, oh, do I want to add a spoiler?
1: Well, but... you're we're spoilers, guys. Like we're okay. talking about a yeah. whole character arcs, so we're going to have spoilers.
0: Yep, okay. Yeah, fair. So at the end of the first book, you have the knowledge seekers, the erudite, basically use their knowledge to brainwash the dauntless and assassinate the abnegation who has been placed in charge of the government because they're selfless. Um, but spoiler alert, they're not actually that selfless. They're kind of corrupt. So it's it's very Everybody interesting. <laughs> um, but the, the reason the book series is called Divergent is because... There are a few select people amongst the different factions who don't really fit into one category like it's actually kind of a genetic test. So when each person reaches, I think it's the age of 16, they get to choose which faction they want to live in so they can actually go from one faction to another. If they're raised in amity, they can change to candor um, if they believe that honesty is more important than peace and harmony. And so what happens with Tris is she's raised in abnegation and she chooses to go dauntless. But what happens with her test is she doesn't exactly test for dauntless. Um, She actually kind of breaks the little simulation test because she doesn't fit into one category. She's kind of a combination of erudite, dauntless, and abnegation, which is called divergent and one of one of the dangers of these people besides the fact that they don't fit into one category is that they aren't susceptible to these simulations which is how they end up brainwashing the dauntless later so Triss is resistant to that and so one this whole idea was very fascinating to me because kind of like we talk about a lot on this podcast I always felt that I was someone who didn't fit into one category. And another thing that was interesting, so I read this book series for the first time when I was about a junior in high school. It's about the same time I decided to join the military. And growing up, you know, I knew from my Catholic worldview that being selfless was important. And I kind of saw that as the core of my identity. So being raised in like the Abnegation Society, I understood that. But then, as we'll talk about later with Hermione Granger, I also very much identified as the know-it-all, the nerdy girl. So I felt very much erudite. And then you had Triss. And part of the thing is she's not the type of person that you would expect to go dauntless. She's a small, unassuming female. And actually, in the start of the book, her name is Beatrice. And I'm like, what kind of person names their protagonist Beatrice? But anyway, like that's part of why she changes her name. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was around that time that I started to think, what if I didn't have to just fit into
1: one box? What if I didn't just have to be like, yeah, like you can have, like, you can actually be good at more than one thing, or like, you don't need to try and organize yourself perfectly into one of these different categories. Right. Yeah, but right. yeah. So Mary, this kind of like continues onto that. But what dreams, like or inspirations, did this character help you discover?
0: Yeah. So definitely the whole Dauntless side of it. Um, that was when I really started to look into the military, and it, it was honestly around the same time I started to actually apply to West Point. And something else that was cool about this character arc is that she finds out her mother was actually Dauntless, and then. Decided to join abnegation. And for me, when I tell people now that I joined the military, they're like, oh, that makes sense. It's in your blood because my dad was in the military. But for me, honestly, I identify more with my mom. Like I know my personality is more similar to my mother. Um, There's a lot of great, like, nurture traits that I um, assumed from my dad. But I just know nature wise, I'm a lot more like my mom. And it was during my West Point application process that I found out when she was about my age, my mom had actually considered joining the military and due to some like other chains of events and influences, she kind of decided not to go for that. But to see that like that had been in me all along um, was really powerful and to have um, the representation of a mother figure who is a warrior is so important, especially to me, like as a Catholic with our connection to mother Mary, um, and the way that she's portrayed, like to, to have this ideal of a warrior mother. I just thought that was really, really, that's really cool.
1: I love it when we see like other people in our lives in like fictional books as well, like not just like see ourselves, but, um, what so we've kind of you've kind you've talked a lot about Tris and like some good things about her, but like what flaws or struggles in your life did your character did this character, Triss, help you to like name, identify, and then cope with?
0: Right. So the big thing about Triss is she has real anger issues. And a lot of that stems from trauma that she endures mostly in the first book. But it's so hard to give voice to that. Um I mean, I know that it's extremely hard for men to seek help with their anger issues, but it almost seems more acceptable. It's at least more in conformity to their gender norm for or them like to experience anger.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: whereas like men struggle a lot more with admitting that they're suffering from depression and women might struggle with admitting and seeking help for it too. But in general, I think the stereotype is more conformed to women experiencing that. Um, it, yeah. And I just... I have an Irish temper that's that's just Darn. the way it is yeah. And, yeah and to like when a character expresses that it, it's not that it gives you permission or it's not saying that it's okay but it's saying hey this is real it l- helps you to name it so that you can then deal with it yeah um and yeah, so that totally. was really important for me and then another thing with Tris, and this is like a very specific thing, and I hope I'm getting the facts right, because it's been a few years since I read the books, but in the first book, there is a candidate going through dauntless training with her. I think his name is Al or Alan, and he kind of develops a crush on her, and I think part of it is due to like her goodness and her tenacity and the way she just overcomes difficulty, like it's very attractive to him, and understandably so, But he doesn't really handle being told no. Well, like she she sets that boundary and she tells him no, which one is just extremely important for young girls to read, um, to see a woman setting boundaries and saying, hey, I appreciate that you like me and are attracted to the good things in me. But I'm just not interested in you that way. And that's really important um, to have an example of that. And then the downside of that is um there is like a bad competitive um candidate who's also going through training with her and she's doing really well so this other um candidate i think his name is peter tries to take her out like i think literally stuffs her in a sack and tries to throw her off a cliff in the middle of the night and alan actually teams up with peter on this and he says he didn't realize that peter was actually trying to kill her he said they were just trying to scare her to get her to drop out still not okay and sure, we see sure this, alan yeah and we see this all the time on the internet that you know when women turn a man down it's immediately into insults and you know just terrible things telling them they should commit self-harm like yeah. all, all of this really awful criticism and even violence towards women um when they have the courage to say no and then after that um alan feels so guilty um and we'll, we'll a trigger warning in here too but he takes his own life he jumps off the cliff and tris really struggles with that because she feels responsible she's like well maybe if i had just you know said yes and the way, like seeing the way that women absorb men's trauma is so devastating, but it's so important again, to name it so that we can begin to deal with it.
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. And those are all like real flaws and real struggles that yeah, is helpful to see if not in real life and to see on, on paper. Um, but so besides like flaws and struggles, what like how does Tris represent like virtues or qualities that are under, like, like how we like see underrepresented in women, especially on social media, or um, that we see underrepresented in like Christian and Catholic circles?
0: Yeah. So I'll try and move through this one. Um, So I know we're running low on time. <laughs>
1: um, Mary, this is not a Tris podcast. We can, I know I could shirt. talk about her
0: for probably half
1: an hour but we'll do a we'll do a hunger games podcast because I'm not allowed to talk about Katniss Everdeen because I'd talk about her forever so we'll we'll talk about maybe dystopian and you can bring Tris okay up again so
0: so big spoiler coming up but at the end of the series which people who watch the movies will not know because the second movie was so bad they didn't make a third movie but anyway at the end of the third book Tris dies to save everyone else and to me that is vastly underrepresented Um, we see a lot of male heroes sacrificing themselves, even if they're not like the main protagonist, you see a lot of secondary male characters sacrificing themselves. And I think maybe there's a healthy gravitation towards men sacrificing themselves that draws on Christ figures. But I do think that, yeah. And so I think that's healthy to a certain extent. But it becomes unhealthy when we exclude the real stories of female martyrs. Um, it, and there are so many of them in the canon of saints. And sometimes I think we're hesitant to show women who were willing to take on real physical violence. I mean, we'll show St. Sebastian filled with arrows, but we won't show Maria Goretti with her 14 wounds from an all. Yeah. And yeah. we'll show, yeah, um, we won't show... Um, Joan of Arc with burns all over her body. I think telling the stories of female martyrs as the martyrdom happened is very important, not to like glorify the, the violence done against them, but just to not ex- specifically exclude it just because they're women. And I think part of it is that like violence against women hurts our hearts even a little bit more than violence against men there should be a call to action there.
1: Right. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, I know, I think it makes sense. And we like, we kind of like chatted about this before the show and we actually like text each other the same thing. Like I've noticed in, um, so I pray the liturgy of the hours every day. And when it's a female martyr, um, like the, the bravery kind of takes the opinion that like her virginity was more important than her martyrdom, which like we can talk about too, but like sometimes the language is just a little, off. And maybe again, it's like a translation thing and it just doesn't translate very well into English. You're like word choice could have been better. Um, but that's something that, yeah, I'm thinking about a lot. And that actually leads into my first female character. Cause she's kind of similar to Tris, but not dystopian. She's actually fantasy, but yeah, Michaela um, didn't cheat. I didn't cheat cause I follow the rules. Guess what house I would have, or guess what t- faction I would have been in. Um, no, anyway, this, uh, my first character is Aelin Galanthius from throne of glass. This is like a young adult series that uh, the final, like seventh book was published in 2018. Shout out to my friend Rekina Browatsky for making me read it and then watching me suffer through it. So thanks Rekina, but suffer in the best way. Um, So Aelin is the like typical, I'm royalty, but my crown was stolen from me by evil. And so now I'm fighting to get it back. Um, And her whole story is about like uh, finding first, she like finds herself and like centers herself and like comes to terms with who she really is and deals with past trauma. And then she can step forward and start fighting to get her crown back and fighting for her kingdom, um, which like yeah, it was really impactful and important to me. But, um, I just really think that, that, that like her, her overall, overall character arc of like, you need to know yourself before you can go to fight to get your crown back, um, is very applicable in our world, especially for women when so so often we're told to focus on like external things and like external achievements when we need to remember that we have to know ourselves and know who we are before God, before we can chase after any external thing. And yeah, but so that, I guess that's the dream. That's the dream question was just that. Yeah. Like I am like as a daughter of God and a co-heir with Christ, like I am actually a princess, but my royalty, my crown has been stolen by the world, the flesh and the devil. And Christ is fighting with me to gain it back
0: yeah awesome okay so that covers you gotta read those books yeah i'll get on it (sighs) add it to your book list i know well evan has vetoed me buying more books right now he actually shared did you see the meme that it was like jesus with the samaritan woman at the well but it's like what is it he's like show me it's like wife can i buy this book he says show me the newest book book you have that that you have read and she's like, I have no new books that I have read. And he's like, you are right in saying you have no new books that you have read for you have 27 new books and the one you want to buy or the one you most recently bought, you have not read.
1: <laughs> like, yep, yeah, yeah, me. See, the trick you get around that by telling your husband, you're only going to buy used books. That's the trick. Because then they're cheaper. Um, Yeah. Anyway. So like her flaws and struggles. Um, I think the biggest there's, there's lots of things with Alan. Um, but I think the two biggest like flaws or struggles in my own life that have resonated with her, um, was that like, we have a choice when we're afraid we can either entertain fear and let it paralyze us, or we can acknowledge that we're afraid, but move forward in a productive way. So one of Alan's mantras throughout the series was, Like I am Alan Galanthius and I will not be afraid. So she's reminding herself like who she is. And then she's again, proving that choice, like saying that she's not going to be afraid and move forward anyway. Um, And it's a really beautiful, like um, mirror into the spiritual life. I think like when Jesus asks us to do things that we think are crazy or terrifying, you know, just be like, no, I have, I have the option to entertain fear or not. And I won't. So that's that. And it's, it sounds kind of silly, but it's, it's more, um, it's more applicable than you might think. Uh, the second struggle in my life that I saw in Ailens that, that helped me and helped me cope and learn, um, was like, it's Mary doesn't have experience with this, but it's okay. Um, that the first man you fall in love with, isn't your husband. Like, that's like a, just a thing that like, I've been really thinking about recently and just being like, all right, like the, the guys that I like have loved, like, obviously didn't work out. Right. Cause I'm the single half of this podcast. <laughs> um, But just even in alien story, like the first two men that she fell in love with, like didn't end up being like her true spouse and like the one that she was supposed to run her country with. Um, And so Jesus used the truth in that story to remind me personally that like, Hey, like, yeah, just because you fell in love with a guy doesn't mean that you are not going to get married or like, that he like, yep, he wasn't the one, but that doesn't mean there isn't the one still out there for you. And having that like physical reminder in book form was very, very helpful. And again, yeah, seeing her story reflected on paper helped a lot. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I thought a lot about this. I could literally talk about Aylan forever, but I'm speed talking because we each have like two more people to talk about. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so this, uh, I really think that Aylan represents- uh, like the virtue, I mean, all all of my women, like looking at my list, everyone's very tenacious and everyone's very willing to like fight for what they want, which is like that fortitude, that courage that like I really value, but it's fortitude and courage with prudence. So like they know how to hone their courage and make it actually applicable to a specific situation instead of just being bold and being brash. Like all of these women really understand what it means to be truly courageous and how to use their courage to actually benefit themselves, move their story forward and benefit the people around them. Um, So yeah, just that her virtue of like being ready to fight to like reclaim her crown and like not backing down from who she truly is, even if that means she has to go up against like the biggest evil, she's totally willing to do that. And she's willing to sacrifice herself so that her citizens, her like people can have a better life. Um, and kind of like what we talked about earlier with Tris and just the female martyrs, like, yeah, being willing to sacrifice ourselves for others and not just in a everyday kind of sacrifice. Like we talk a lot about moms, like sacrificing their day or like sacrificing their, their bodies. And this is a little bit different though. It's like sacrificing for someone who's not a part of your family directly. And, uh, it's really, really a bold move.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I actually wrote something down about this too. I know we talked about it a bit, but like we talk about St. Therese, the little way, and that is every bit as holy as like people who go out and experience physical martyrdom. Yeah. But the problem comes when we start to delineate along gender lines, oh, women do the little way and men go out and be martyrs. Um, I feel like sometimes we can domesticate women's suffering a little bit, Um, and there have been women who have died violent and bloody deaths for the Lord. And there have been men whose heroism has taken the form more so of the little way, like, you know, Dominic Savio, Andre Bessette, um, even St. Gianna Mala's husband, like having to raise all of the kids after losing his beloved wife. Um, and yeah, and like those men are not any less heroic for that. And those women are not any less feminine for that so I think yeah just telling the the fullness of the truth is what we're getting after here
1: okay you who's your second character I think we have a theme for our second character
0: yeah so drum roll please we have Hermione Granger (laughs) I don't know if we
1: yeah
0: (laughs) so I don't really know if I even need to go through Hermione's character arc here um We'll just generally assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you have some knowledge of Harry Potter. I think that's a fair
1: assumption. <laughs> um, Okay. If you don't, you can email us at heartsablazepodcast at gmail.com.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we'll tell you about it.
0: Yeah. Okay, so with Hermione specifically, um, what dreams or inspirations did this character help you to discover? I think, especially with her cleverness, Hermione helped me to never feel the need to hide my intellect Um, and I'm so glad that I read these books when I was young because I feel like looking back on it when you read her with the cynicism of an adult she almost seems like a gag or a joke of a character at least in the beginning because she is sort of this teacher's pet or as Severus Snape says an insufferable know-it-all but I'm glad that I read that with sincerity and recognizing myself in it. Not that like, I'll talk more about how there's like downsides to that, but I think that especially prior to like the nineties and early two thousands, there, there was a little bit of this need for women to hide their intellect, um, to make the men around them feel more comfortable. And Hermione just didn't do that. She was like, nope, I like, I know the
1: answer. Not. We're going for it.
0: Yep. 10 points to Gryffindor and yeah yeah. so I think that's probably the big thing with her um as far as flaws um so with that like know-it-all teacher's pet thing I think Hermione especially when she's younger has this need to please authority which is why she's so easily devastated by characters like Snape who are like oh yeah you're being just such a little know-it-all um and the thing is like that's child abuse but also he's not wrong. The <laughs> thing is like
1: we hate snape anyway but continue.
0: Yeah, and so her need to please authority I think yeah. holds her back in a lot of ways especially in her early years. Um because she's more concerned with being right you know, that you have the line from the first movie, before you get us killed, or worse, expelled. Worse. <laughs> expelled.
1: Yeah, yeah. Iconic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it? And Ron is like she needs to sort out her priorities. Like yeah. that's her money though. Like she like her priorities don't necessarily make sense to everyone else around him, but Mm-hmm. like they're hers and she knows what they are. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think where that comes from actually is the imposter syndrome that she suffers as a muggle-born, um, mm-hmm. which is something that I've, I think I've mentioned I struggle with, um, and
1: we're not a muggle-born. I am not.
0: Yeah. No. I, I think we all struggle with it to a certain extent, but Yeah. the problem is when that, um, insecurity supplants your ability to do the right thing or to like um work for the good of those around you and i think michaela you talked about this a bit on your podcast with joe that sometimes hermione's insecurity does get in the way of her being able to protect herself and her friends with magic um not always sometimes she's really good but yeah Yeah, i
1: mean and and as she gets older in the series like you see she's a lot more secure Mm -hmm. um but also she's like kind of straight up ruthless. Like she sets Snape on fire and like, she talks about getting expelled, but like she breaks the rules all the time. And so it's like, it's
0: okay when I do it because I'm smarter than everyone. And I know when it's yep. the right time to break the rules,
1: you know? Yep. That's yeah. And I think that's a kind that's dangerous. You know, like that's kind of Hermione's negative Gryffindor trait. Um, mm-hmm. Like she locks Rita Skeeter in beetle form, like in a bottle. And like, she, like, she breaks so many rules, but she, yeah, she does it for the good of those around her, but like, she still kind of sees what she wants and goes for it.
0: Yeah. And I would say probably that ruthlessness is a bit of the quality that's underrepresented amongst female characters. Um, And, you know, that's not, I think it's, again, one of those things where it being represented allows you to name it and to deal with it, not to necessarily praise it.
1: Yeah, man. Well, my uh, second character is also from Harry Potter. Uh, My girl, Ginny Weasley. um, I very much identified with Ginny. Like I I remember not really fitting with Hermione and like the first book was like great, but I was also kind of like, there's no character here that I feel comfortable with. And so then I don't know why that was my 11 year old voice, but there we go. Um, But then I read more in the series and I like really loved Ginny. Part of it was because I too- was in love with a boy at 11 and that did not work out. He is not as good as Harry Potter though. So, you know, we're okay that he's gone. Um, But just, I saw like, she's very, she is smart and intelligent. She's just not like top of her class, but she's a jock but she's allowed to be complex. So like she's more than just good at quidditch. Like she does have some issues with like, you know, her family is well known and so she has to deal with that. But she's never known as like just the quidditch girl. Like she has like so many other things going for her and in the narrative she's allowed to be complex and her complexity is not seen as a negative trait. Um, and I really saw that like in myself growing up in middle school and high school and like being really good at sports, but then also being kind of a nerd and not really fitting into the, the, oh my gosh, not really fitting into this stereotype of being a jock girl because I didn't play like volleyball or like basketball. So I wasn't, you know, in a, in a, I was a swimmer and a runner. So I wasn't in like a cool sport, you know, whatever, Um, But I saw like Jenny being good at sports and being liked like as like a hope for the future kind of a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Can I say
0: something too? Yeah. I think, I think, I think similar to Hermione, she also has a bit of an arc from being almost this like gag character at the beginning where she's like the gullible little girl who, you know, was wearing a fluffy pink sweater and read Tom Riddle's diary and got ink in her hair and almost burned the whole school down or something. And, and then she becomes so much more secure in herself. Yeah. Um, and that's ironically when Harry really starts to like her, um, but well, continue. It,
1: it's, it's like part of that, like part of her security is why she's able to help other people which I think is really interesting because Jenny is able to help Harry in the fifth book. When Harry like thinks he's being possessed, he like talks to Jenny about it. And Jenny starts asking him really pointed questions and he starts realizing that like, no, he wasn't possessed. And she was like, Oh, you know, well I was. So I like, I know what's going on. And he's like, Oh yeah, I forgot you were possessed. And then she says, lucky you. And just this idea that like Jenny was like survived the Harry Potter equivalent of demonic possession at the age of 12, but didn't let that like break her, like break her or steal her joy throughout the rest of the series. Um, she's also never blamed for being naive, which I think is like a really interesting kind of like hot take, because I, I feel like a lot of female characters are, are put down for being those girls in like the fluffy pink sweaters and like quote unquote, being naive. Pandora's box. Yeah. Pandora's box. Yeah. And like the Harry Potter narrative, like the good characters never made fun of Ginny for like being possessed. Like there's never a victim blaming game. It's like, if anyone brings it up, it's one of the negative characters. There's a Um, little bit, I think in
0: the second book, when her dad is like, never trust something that can speak for itself you can't see where well, it keeps he, well but
1: he puts it in a he puts it in the context of like we've told our kids this
0: right and uh, like lesson so he learned. doesn't just say
1: it like an yes yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and then like i just read it because i've been rereading the books because i'm going to teach high schoolers so i figured i should reread them but um yeah like he puts it in the context of uh he's like haven't we told you again and again never trust a thing that thinks for itself. If you can't see where it puts its brain. Um, yeah, but wise words from Arthur Weasley, but, um, yeah, just that she's had that struggle. Um, and yeah, I, I appreciated her being able to like work through that. Um, I think something that's unrep like really underrepresented in Christian Catholic circles are like girls who like sports and who are good at sports exist. And we want to talk about it also in the context of like Christian athleticism or like how like, sorry, on the fields of friendly strife can actually be a, like a a model for the spiritual life. Like I'd love to talk about sports, but there's not that I can find, but there's no one on Catholic social media who is talking about or talking to like girls who are good at sports and who like sports. So if you like baseball or hockey or football and you want to talk to someone about it, email us at hearts of blaze Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Can we talk about Mary doing an ultra marathon to Elizabeth's house in her first trimester of pregnancy?
1: I know that's amazing. Well, Joseph went with her. So like they like did it. Together. Oh, really?
0: Is that like uh, the tradition of the church? Well, uh,
1: a woman would not have walked outside around the countryside by herself. That's someone fair. Husbands go running with, with your wives. Husbands go running unless your wife is like me and doesn't like to talk to anyone during her runs, then let your wife go running by herself, but then coffee or something afterwards. Um, yeah, but I just feel like there's that lack of not athleticism, but just, just, I don't know. Does that make sense, Mary? Yeah. Like the
0: physical activity, um, you know, she went in haste, um, Bishop Barron talks about in Dante's Inferno, at the beginning of like on the threshold of hell there's like the sluggards who never chose anything in life like they just kind of sat on the sidelines and so they don't even get to go into hell they're just like on this field on the outside and they're just Mm -hmm. having to constantly run back and forth pursuing this flag of meaninglessness because that's what they did their whole lives and they're getting bitten and stung by like gnats and bees but the whole thing that Um, I think it's like St. Gabriel is sitting there with the flag and he's uttering in Latin, she went in haste. She went in haste.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So it's like Mama Mary was busy and she got stuff done. So like women of like women can be, I don't know, holy women are women of action who make commitments that require something of them physically.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then even like Yeah. With like small stuff. Like I just, I really like watching baseball and talking about like sports Mm -hmm. and that's not a thing that I really see. So I love that Jenny Weasley is like the sporty character, but she's liked for more than just being sporty. Cause I feel like there's this like stereotype of like the sporty girl is liked because she's like athletic or like, you know, like the stereotype of finding a girl who likes the same football team as you, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but jenny breaks all those stereotypes and that's why i love her so who is your third and final character mary so my
0: third and final character we talked about her a little bit on our very first episode but it's going to be Aowen from lord of the rings
1: ah, oh we planned this too this is great we did really good on this this is fantastic okay Aowen, continue my girl okay so oh.
0: dreams and inspirations again Aowen was one that um helped me to realize a little bit of my desire um, to join the military or at least to do something meaningful, something that required something of me. Um, I remember early on, uh, in probably like eighth or ninth grade, I knew I wanted to write. Like I knew I wanted to be a writer. But then I came across this Benjamin Franklin quote that said something like either write things worth reading or do things worth writing about. And part of me was like, well, I want to do both. And then, so there's that. But then there is also sitting next to my dad on the couch watching Ao and slay the witch king. She pulls her helmet off, I am no man, and stabs him. And it's like women have this capability to overcome evil in a way that sometimes isn't possible for men. Um, I, I I don't know. I guess each gender has their own genius, right? um and we talked about too part of the reason that that was possible was because mary stabbed him first with the blade that he got from tom bombadil but why was mary in the battle in the first place because eowyn included him and women have this ability to include other people who are often marginalized or overlooked we see individuals and we see we know what it is to be put on the outside of something And so when we seek to bring others in, we form a team that is more lethal than any one man. So that's how she inspires me. Um, uh, Flaws slash struggles. So I think a lot of women can relate to being unheard by the men in their lives, even the men they really love and care about. And that's something that Eowyn really struggles with. Um, when her dad is being, uh, brainwashed by Riga, um, and uncle, uncle, or yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I always think he's her dad, probably cause my dad is in the military and I see him as like a father figure for her. Um, well, he but, is her own dad is dead.
1: So right. you're fine. I just right. wanted to, the Lord yeah. of the Rings nerds are going to get on our, our case and then we're going to be shut down. So. Oh no. Anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm sorry i still have to read the books but
1: ah boo (laughs) we were talking about anyone and you haven't read the book okay i know we'll 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 deal deal with it later let me talk to your husband i know he's already
0: trying to get me to read them don't worry you guys are double teaming me
1: so it's fine i'll call him after this look evan get your wife to read more books or something okay anyway sorry She's better in the book. I was going to talk about something she says in the book, but I can't now cuz it'll spoil. No, you it. can.
0: You can. It'll be fine. We've got plenty of spoilers in here already. So <laughs> I spoiled the whole Divergent series for anyone who hasn't read that. So That's true.
1: Um, yeah. Um no, so with with Eowyn, another one of like her her flaws that I think is like very relatable to women. Like we've talked about a lot about like our female characters who are very tenacious, but like Aowen takes tenacity and fortitude without prudence. So mm-hmm. she just has one goal. She like, she wants to kill orcs so bad that she's physically ill. So like, she is like out of, she is disordered. Her desire for, her desire to be brave is disordered. Like Theodrid, no, Theodred's the son. Theoden, Theodred is the son. Theoden yep. is the king. Um, Theoden leaves her in charge, Um when like the rest of them go to the Helm's Deep and she is like really upset about it. And he's like, no, you're like the only person that people will listen to. So like she, her, her desire to prove herself in, in the second book, Two Towers is more important to her than her like actual care about her people. Um, But then at the end of the third book, when she meets Faramir um, and like falls in love she like her, her desires get put in better order. Like she realizes that she doesn't have to prove herself. Um, and that what other people think about her isn't actually as important as doing the right thing at the right time. Um, which is prudence. So
0: yeah. Prudence the charioteer of the virtues. The, books,
1: the, the charioteer of the virtues. Okay. Thomas. Um, but the books talk about Aowen's story a lot better than the movies do. So you should read the books, Mary slash listeners. But, uh, what and qualities are, are under that does Eowyn have that are underrepresented? We've kind of talked about her a little bit, but keep going.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think definitely, uh, the desire to see battle, um, which is fair. And, you know, we do have that well-tempered amongst the saints. Like we actually have that represented, but corrected a little bit more. I think we should, just talk about it more like Saint Teresa of Avila when she was like eight she was like I'm gonna go be a martyr and her mom was like let's wait on that
1: and make (laughs) sure you're actually
0: holy first and
1: (laughs) yeah it's like Saint Catherine of Siena wanted to be a martyr and it looked like she was going to and then the people who were gonna kill her like the angry mob who was ready to kill her like realized the error of their way when they saw her praying and left, and she was so pissed, she was like, "I could have been a martyr." Like, "We're like Catherine, babe." Like, Jesus what's is- more
0: important, you being a martyr or all of these people's souls? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's why she was fine after a second, but she was like crying because she mm-hmm. wanted to be a martyr so bad.
0: But yeah, I think like addressing that women have this desire for valor, um, and and to be seen with dignity and respect would help us to make it more ordered. Because I think a lot of times we do feel like we're the only one or we kind of have a chip on our shoulder about it. And that inhibits us from inviting Jesus into that to redeem it and um, order it to the conversion of the world.
1: Yeah, dang, wow. Retweet. I love that. My final character is also in the the Tolkien universe, but it's, uh, it's not AOA. And it's not Arwen, it's Luthien. So, if Mary hasn't read *Lord of the Rings*, she also has not read *The Silmarillion*. So that's fine. But she's heard me talk about Luthien new Núvial enough that she can keep in this conversation. Um, but so, like, Luthien is like the original Arwen. Like, it's she's she's incredible. Um, but she's an elf maiden who whose mom is like half a demi or whose mom is like a demi goddess. And whose dad is like an actual elf. So she's, she's incredible. Um, But she falls in love with Baron, this human man, and literally decides to give up her immortality for him. Like she's, she, or she's, she's ready to like live with him for as long as he is alive. Um, And it's just this really beautiful love story full of like battles and like Luthien gets taken as like a political prisoner and like has to like fight her way out with the help of a giant, hound and like she literally like goes toe like toe to toe with sauron but like in like an epic song battle which like in tolkien's universe if you can like sing someone out you're you're the best like tolkien like yeah it's crazy Wait, so, i love
0: this why haven't i heard about this
1: <laughs> because you haven't read the similar it. <laughs> anyway i literally bought the similar and then read this chapter first and then went back and reread everything but Tolkien actually says that the story of Beren and Luthien is one of the cornerstones of the entire like Middle Earth saga. It's incredible. Um, But really just some like I guess dreams or like inspirations for this character. Um, Just the fact that like Luthien falls in love with someone that's like totally like not on her radar. But then also she didn't necessarily like push to fall in love with him. Um, she more was like doing her own thing, like dancing in the forest and like just being a citizen of her realm, um, when she happens upon Baron. Um, but the crazy thing is when she met him for the first time, he had just escaped this crazy like desert wilderness where like everybody else has died except for him to cross it. Um, and he is like ragged and like very traumatized, but the sight of her, And like hearing her song completely heals him. And just like, he's like dumbstruck by her beauty. And so just this idea that like, just by Luthi and showing up and being present is like a healing tonic to Baron. Um, And it's just, there's so many like applications with like the spiritual life and like men and women in general. Um, But really like the struggle in her life that I've seen in my own life is like moving forward with your dreams, like despite past trauma. Like, yeah, Luthien was taken as a political political prisoner. And like the two guys who took her, like, were fully intending on like forcing her to marry one of them and like just horrific things that she like was able to get through. And she still chose love for Baron. And she still chose to go after him. And she didn't let anything stop her from going after the man she loved. Um It's really this reverse Rapunzel story. Like part of it involves her cutting off her own, like growing her hair really long, cutting it off and then magically enchanting it to turn it into a sleeping cloak and then breaking out of the tower her father put her in herself. But like, it's like people talk about like, when is the princess gonna save herself? She does in this story written in like the 1930s by an old english man so it's incredible He
0: it was very traditional in a lot of ways was very
1: that's the thing Tolkien's very traditional but then you meet some of his women and you're like you're you're playing you're not as traditional as you make people think you are
0: it's almost um, like he had a biblical mindset wow
1: <laughs> yeah she no, she really has a Judith figure you know like going in and cutting off people's heads like she's just down for it um but she really models, again, this tenacity, but this tenacity in proper order. So she's courageous, but she has she has wisdom and she has prudence and she has foresight. Like she's able to think four steps ahead to make sure that her plan actually works rather than like running off half cocked and like trying to like get like, and then getting herself in trouble. She doesn't, she actually gets people out of trouble because of her wisdom and her courage. And I just think like seeing a wise woman who knows what she wants, goes after it, gets it. Um, and then is willing to give up anything for the man she loves is really inspiring and beautiful. Also, it takes place in the middle earth universe, which just makes it that much better, but yeah, go read the but that's it. Those are our six favorite fictional ladies. Um, We really wanted to do this episode because we wanted to talk about how like God can reveal truth in like the secular world. And like, we shouldn't shy away from looking for truth in anywhere that can be found. So, especially for us in literature. Um, So we would really encourage you, if you're reading your favorite book, like try and figure out why it's your favorite, like look at your characters, like look at those people um, in the book that you love and find truth in it and then connect those truths to the spiritual life. Um, because all truth points us back to God, no matter where it's found.
0: Yeah. So on that note, we'll go ahead and knock out our recommendations. So for me, I have one. Um, so we're recording this on the Feast of the Assumption and Bishop Barron had a really great sermon this morning on Mary as a warrior queen, um, which I talked a little bit earlier about how having. Um, a warrior as a maternal figure is really powerful and I really appreciated how he used the readings to talk about that so like you have the reading where um, she goes to Elizabeth and she went in haste but then you also have in Revelation like Mary isn't just sitting there placidly like we see her in a lot of statues she is a woman in labor pains fighting a dragon so if you feel like your life is a battle mary is in that with you and i feel like the representation of mary can be like that placid sweet statue and she is that but she fights battles with us and she is there with us in our pain and in our struggle and that was just really powerful to me so that's on the hallow app it's also on youtube so i definitely recommend looking that up and we'll link it in the show notes.
1: Um, Michaela, do you have a recommendation for us? Yeah, I do. So um, I walked into a used bookstore in my town and was like, Jesus, I don't know what book I want to read, but I want to read a book. And he gave me Becoming Mrs. Lewis by, it's on my shelf. I can't read that Patty Callahan. Patty Callahan. So it's a, a story about Joy Davidman, um, who became the wife of C.S. Lewis and just like her really difficult life and like her struggle. Um, but it starts off like the book starts off saying that it was the great lion who drew us together. I see that now. Gosh. Um, and it just, ca- I know I read that. And I was like, Oh, thanks. Um, but just seeing how like her story, like didn't turn out the way she wanted it to at first. Um, but then like Jesus drew her and like Jack Lewis together exactly at the time that God had planned. Um, and that's just something that I'm struggling with my in my own life right now, just with like my vocation timing, just kind of being frustrated by timing in general. Um, and this book is just like really helping me to remember that like, no, God has an actual timing for things. And here is a concrete example of how God's timing actually works. So I highly suggest it.
0: Yeah. And Michaela, they were like in their fifties or something when they met. Right. And, or at least well, when Lewis
1: was, Lewis was 54 and then Joy Davidman is 16 years younger than him.
0: Yeah. But when you're that age, I feel like that's not that weird.
1: No, but so, I mean, she's like what upper thirties. So yeah. yeah, I mean, they're, they're older, like they're, they're older than the traditional cute, like young couple in love kind of a thing.
0: Right. And I think she was terminally ill when they got engaged, right? Like they, they never had any kids together. They were only married for four years.
1: Is that right? Um, I think so. It's very, it was very short and it was kind of, yeah, just totally not something that either of them, you know, would have like planned, but it's what God had planned for their vocation.
0: Yeah. And I'll go ahead and throw another one out there too, just kind of related, um, just because I know it's been helpful to some people in my life. Um, if you're struggling with grief, um, loss of a spouse, or somebody really close to you is um, a grief observed, is C.S. Lewis's extremely raw, heart wrenching, like diary notes from uh, the period following his loss of his wife Joy.
1: And I'm, you can't see it, but I'm crying just because Mary mentioned it. Thanks, Mary. It's extremely
0: hard to get through, but it's it's very, like, it's, again, we talked about how naming a struggle can give you permission to deal with it. And that's a lot of what Lewis does. It's not a lot of like, oh, you're struggling with this. Here's the, like, handy trick to get over that. Or here's the answer to this question. A lot of it is him being like, everything I knew is in question now.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's a couple of okay. there, lines where he talks about like, I never, like no one told me that grief, like there's one line it's, it's haunted me. I literally read half the book seven years ago and then couldn't read it again. But like this one line of no one told me grief would feel this way. I keep swallowing like, just like, he's very, he's, he's, he's very like visceral and like describes mm-hmm. like your like his, reactions very well. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's rough, but getting through it is I haven't done it, but Mary's told me it's great. So
0: I, I read it when, um, my husband lost his grandfather this past January and I kind of wanted to read it to vet it before sending it to um, my husband's grandmother. But after reading it, and like knowing her and kind of praying and discerning a little bit i decided to send it to her and she thanked me for that so yeah. um no, definitely yeah, take the time beautiful.
1: yeah yeah well on that really sad note thanks mary <laughs>
0: <laughs> i just you know sometimes it's like someone might need this you know yeah. and no, we we hope that that's how this conversation was today um we hope that uh somebody who needed to hear about these characters or, or hear hear a struggle in their life be named and uh related to um we we hope that was helpful for you today
1: yeah guys so again thank you so much and hope to uh, please, I want to say please tune in next time but we're not on the radio you can list, literally listen to us whenever so uh please join us again later bye bye